1: What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm half of the
0: podcast, Kevin Ballantin. I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kevin, we're coming off of a fresh Game 5 in the NHL Eastern Conference Finals. Bro, we may not watch a lot of hockey, but that game was intense from beginning to end. Granted, it didn't work out well for the Rangers, but bro, the lightning got out. and just did a flat-out escape from New York. There's no other way I could put it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it literally came down to a completely missed wide open goal that the Rangers had the attempt to go up 2-1. And, you know, the Lightning just kept going at it and just being aggressive in that third period. And, it, you know, kind of came down to the wire of in the final two minutes, they go and they score. And then, of course, it, it, it inflates to 3-1 with an open net attempt that the Rangers trying to even the game up to go to OT. But again series is now 3-2. The Lightning have won three in a row, and uh, New York is on the brink of elimination.
0: Yeah, I mean, we got another action-packed episode for you guys. Um, The Lightning-Rangers game will be a topic of discussion. Uh, We have some more topics to go over. You ready to dive into these, Kev? Oh, yeah. So First things first, we'll go over the, the Lightning and the Rangers game. After that, we'll transition into some segments about the NBA Finals. As it currently stands, the Boston Celtics are up 2-1 in that series after defeating Golden State in Game 3 by the score of 116-100. to we'll have our thoughts about that game. We'll kind of keep that segment relatively short. And then we'll transition into a Game 4 preview between the Warriors and the Celtics. And then that'll pretty much wrap up our NBA content for the episode. After that, we'll transition into some NFL topics. It's been quite a while since we've had multiple NFL topics to go over in an episode. So it's kind of nice to see that come back into the fold. Uh, We'll talk about the ongoing situation with Deshaun Watson. Uh, Two more accusers have come out against him in the last, I would say, week or so. I think the last eight days specifically. Something like that. We'll talk about just that ongoing drama about just how Cleveland and the NFL are going to handle the new allegations brought against Deshaun Watson. And then after that, we're going to kick it to the West Coast. We're going to talk about the Rams for a little bit. Uh, The Rams went out and re-signed Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's getting over a $60 million contract. I think it was around 65 mil if I read the contract correctly. And then they re-signed Cooper Cup to a massive five-year deal, over $100 million. Just as safe to say it, that the Rams are reloaded and looking to go back to another Super Bowl this upcoming season. So that's all we have for the episode. Let's not waste any more time. Kevin, You could just take this one to me. Joining me, so the, the the Eastern Conference Finals
1: obviously have been absolutely incredible for the NHL. Uh, you know, the Rangers jump out quick, two zero series lead. The Rangers fumble the bag in Game Three. Kyle and I talked about that. It was absolutely pivotal that New York kind of capitalized and kind of crushed the soul out of what was left of Tampa. Tampa wins that game. Tampa comes back in Game Four, and they go and. Sp- <laughs> They go and capitalize in Game 5, and they have now won three in a row. So, Kyle, I'm asking this to you. Can Tampa close this out at home in Game 6?
0: Yeah, I'm fully of the mindset of that after what we saw in Game 5. I mean, just to recap Game 5, it was a battle. Really, both the Lightning and the Rangers were going at it the entire game. It was scoreless in the first period. In the second period, we definitely saw... Really some good scoring opportunities for both teams. Uh, the Rangers were the first to score in the second period. And then the Lightning were able to respond late in the second period. Uh, that tied it up 1-1. to And then going into the third. The Rangers were so persistent at getting shots on Vasilevsky. The entire third. And there was a great opportunity for the Rangers to score. With just a couple of minutes left in that period to go. And... I forget who set up the pass, but the pass was, I mean, honestly, it was a perfect pass. It was a perfect setup for the Rangers to score. And one of the Rangers skaters just over the puck by about literally a half a second. And it was a wide open net. If that pass was just a little bit more on point or had the Rangers been in the perfect position to capitalize on that, it's 2-1 Rangers, which is a couple of minutes left in the third period. And it changes the... Comp- it changes the entire complexion of the game. Instead of that, the Rangers miss, and the Lightning take advantage of it. Kale Sergachev hits a shot towards the net. It slightly deflects off of Andre Palat. The puck goes in the net. It gets past Shesterkin, and it's 2-1 Lightning. And this was with basically like a minute 45 left in the third period. Not a lot of time for the Rangers to work with. The Rangers try to go for broke. They go empty net, you know, try to do a six on five. It doesn't work in their favor. And I believe Brandon Hagel ends up getting uh, the empty netter that puts the Lightning up 3-1 to ice it in Madison Square Garden. This was a game that I'm of the mindset. The Lightning escaped. They escaped New York in this manner just because I really thought that the Rangers looked like the team to be in that game five specifically. Just with the way that they were so persistent on getting those shots on net. In the third period. I really thought that they were going to have an opportunity to go up 2-1 in that game and then put Tampa on their heels to be able to tie it potentially for the end of the third. But Tampa just hung in tough. That championship pedigree, man, it, it held on by like this much. I mean, New York was really giving Tampa all that they could handle. It's just New York is still relatively a young team. And I think this is one of those moments where maybe they kind of hit them just because the chemistry and just the setup was a little bit off that could have put them up 2-1 uh, to one in that game. And they couldn't take advantage of that. Tampa just, it's a, I mean, it wasn't like even like that crazy of a wrister from Sergeyev, but it was enough to flex off Palat. And it's, I mean, we're talking about like literally a game of inches. And in this case, it worked out in the favor for Tampa, and it went against New York in this case. Going into game six, I don't know how the Rangers can bounce back. Just because that was a game that they probably should have won. And yet somehow Tampa finds a way to just get the puck in the net a couple more times in the Rangers and put them up 3-2 to two in the series going back to Tampa. I mean, three straight wins. Tampa looked really good at home in games three and four. I really thought the Rangers were probably going to come out of Game 5 with a win, which is how they played in that third period. They play inspired hockey. And just the hockey guys did not shine bright on them today. And uh, the Lightning find themselves up 3-2. to two. It looks like to me that they have full control of this series. Going back to Game 6 in Tampa, it seems to me like the Rangers are pretty much done at this point. I don't see how they're going to be able to bounce back from this and find a way to win game 6. I think if they were to win game 6, it would be basically nothing short of a miracle. But I think the Lightning, I think they looked locked and loaded to go to another Stanley Cup, which would be potentially be their third in a row, which would just be utterly insane. A great game 5, but the Lightning, they just that championship pedigree held just enough to get them past the Rangers. And I think it's going to take them to the Stanley Cup. That's just how I see it.
1: I mean, Kyle kind of alluded to pretty much everything I was going to say. I mean, the game was was well fought, tight all the way through, obviously going back and forth, very physical. I mean, it got very chippy in that third period. Both teams at at each other's throats multitudes of times in between icing periods and in between line changes. It was just as physical as you would like playoff hockey to be. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, New York had their opportunity to go up, kind of try to take the air out of the sail for Tampa and get them to make some mistakes. But between the turnovers between the multiple shot opportunities that led up to the you know Shergachev. what's it, what's that guy's name Shargachev hit, hit Shugachev, I was right you know for him to hit that shot and like Kyle said it wasn't anything crazy he just he just made a great shot and again you know we missed a couple of opportunities at some open nets and here we are you know the Rangers I said it before I said it when uh we right before the series had started it it was just the experience at one point was going to come into play here. The obvious inexperience of the Rangers has shown in the last two games to where either it's close all the way and you can't execute or right out of the gate, Tampa just comes out way more aggressive and a lot more what seems to be prepared because obviously we all know that Game 4 ended in a 4-1 to one loss for the Rangers. So you kind of just look at this and say like how I kind of alluded to what, what is it can the Rangers do to kind of try and fight back? I guess maybe try to force a game seven. I don't necessarily know how that's going to be possible. I don't know what team that gives up three wins in a row, even on their own ice, and just does not perform at the magnitude that they should have. You know, they 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 failed to execute on the offensive side. There were a couple of defensive breakdowns later in that third period as well. After that goal aside, um, you know, we got really lucky, and thankfully we were able to save the puck and, you know, prevent it from going in. But you, you look at it and you say, well, well, shit, the Rangers definitely should have come out on top in this game. And we didn't. So how are we going to be able to combat this with Tampa being as hot as they are on their home floor in game six with a with a trip to the Stanley cup on the line. And that's the, the answer to me is it's not going to happen. It just, it doesn't seem feasible. It doesn't seem like it's something that's in the cards. And I mean, the, the Rangers are here, and I've been saying it for you know the last couple weeks. You know the fact that we're in a place where we're in the playoffs with a team like this, with the potential to kind of keep them from going to their third Stanley Cup, is 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 a an incredible feat. But um, it definitely just kind of goes to show, man. It's a it's a game of experience. It always goes down to who's going to be able to execute more down the stretch. And uh, you know New York just fell a little short today, and we'll just kind of have to play it by ear and see what happens in uh, in Game Six.
0: I don't know how they're going to be able to bounce back from that. I really don't. I, I just, don't think it's going to happen, but I can hope it's just you know, I really think when you when the, the Rangers look back at this series, i I think they're just going to look at it in utter disgust. I mean, game three, they were up two to one going into the third period, and you look at game five, I mean, I imagine that somebody on Twitter has probably gotten a screenshot. Of the wide open net that the Rangers had. And they were this close to getting it to 2-1 late in the third period. To put them potentially up 3-2 in the series. Bro, that's going to make not only the the fans sick, but the players sick. Because, bro, you go up 2-1 in the garden with just like 4-5 to minutes to go. Bro, that place is going to be buzzing. And... Bro, you're not going to get better looks than that.
1: Nope. Not in the playoffs. Especially not to go to the Stanley Cup. It's literally like the equivalent of a ground ball in, in like Little League. It's
0: right there. I know. And when the Rangers missed that opportunity, the Lightning took advantage of it. I mean, literally within about, I think, three to four minutes of game time, the Lightning put one in the back of the net, and it's two to one. And then... The Rangers just couldn't really get anything going on the empty net situation, and once again, Kucherov has a perfect little slip pass to Brendan Hagel, and he just literally just strolls toward the net to put him up three to one. You know, it's a game set match at that point. But I got to give the Rangers uh, some credit. I'm basically kind of like, I'm basically like writing their obituary to their to their season right now. Basically. But you know, the way that I see it is. I just don't know how they're going to be able to respond to that. I mean, if they if they come out and shock the world by beating Tampa in Tampa in Game Six, I mean that Game Seven is going to be absolutely insane.
1: And but, the Garden too; it's going to be like broken. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't think the Garden's been. I don't think the Garden would be in a situation where it's been that loud and like bro, like ten years and probably years. something
1: like that. Yeah.
0: So. I mean, we'll see what happens in Game 6. You know, it will be played in Tampa, so Tampa's looking at this situation where they could just end this series in six games and then potentially face Colorado in the Stanley Cup. Or the Rangers pull off one of the the biggest upsets, potentially, in Game 6 and send this series back to New York City in Game 7. I mean, at that point, bro, like Game 7, we live for this. So... All day. we'll, We'll see what happens, but... Man, if you're in New York, you're probably just sick to your stomach knowing this close to potentially winning that game. That's a tough one to bounce back from. It's disappointing for sure. Like, Kevin and I were talking about this game like before we started recording. And he was like physically and emotionally just drained after that game. It was like a gut punch. So. You no, know, I was just kind of watching the game just to watch it. But man, if you're New York, that's a tough one to look back on. If you're if you're the Lightning, you're running to the plane as quick as you can, just get out of New York City and just get back to Tampa. So you know it's it's utter joy on the one side, and it's just you know just sheer defeat on the other side. It's just oof, that's a tough one if you're New York. That's a real. But with that said. Uh, we're going to transition to our NBA topics. Uh, we're going to go over the game three matchup that took place between the Celtics and the Warriors. The Celtics came out on top. They won by the score of 116 to 100. A Relatively competitive game. Golden State really made it uh, pretty close in the third quarter, really tightening the deficit. And then Golden State just couldn't hit a shot in the fourth quarter. They turned the ball over quite consistently and Boston took advantage of it. They outscored Golden State 23-11 to in the fourth quarter and won by double digits in a pretty big home game for the Celtics to put them up 2-1 in that series in the NBA Finals. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, when you look back at this Game 3 performance by Golden State, just how bad was that fourth quarter by them specifically?
1: I'm almost confused because... Kyle and I have been talking about this. The Golden State Warriors are literally in the discussion for the greatest third quarter basketball team we've ever seen. Like, it's just, it's a whole other level of intensity. They're pretty much unguardable. Everybody in the league knows that they're the best third quarter team in the league, and they have been for almost a decade, it seems like. And you follow up with that 33 points in the third, 11 in the fourth. The Golden State Warriors in this series within the fourth quarter alone have 11 more turnovers than the Celtics. In the fourth quarter alone, the Golden State Warriors are shooting 19% from three. How is it that you go from ungodly, unguardable, from what it seems like in the third, to abysmally irrelevant in the fourth? Now, I know that basketball is not rigged. And I'm not going to go out there and say that it is. It's just instances like this is when you start to question how authentic some of these games are. And again, I'm not making this a gambling thing. It's just it's almost weird because you're coming off of an emotional and physical high of just dominating your opponent in a quarter to where you have one left. You rallied your way back when Boston was up that entire game. Take the lead in the third and then shit the bed you didn't get embarrassed like you did in game one where they went on a 40 to 17 run to end the fourth quarter. You you know, it, it wasn't like Al Horford was killing you or just kind of like random people, but the timely and in time, excuse me, the timely turnovers that you guys had, the situational awareness that you had for your shot selection in that fourth quarter was just kind of like Steph had 29 in three quarters, ends with 31. You're telling me the best player on the floor only gets two points in the quarter. You're telling me that you guys are throwing lackadaisical one-handed passes across the court? You're telling me that Draymond Green can't dribble the basketball? Steph doesn't know how to make a bounce pass? Clay Thompson doesn't know how to make a wide-open three? Just, you know, on the offensive side, I know that the shot is probably the hardest piece, but it's just they made so many mistakes that you look at and say, but that's not them. That's not who they are. I mean, for God's sake, Steph has scored over 30 points in all three games. This is Clay's first game where he's actually productive and efficient at that. Andrew Wiggins finally kind of snaps out of his shell and he gives you 18 and you can't capitalize in Boston. It just, I don't understand. It doesn't really add up. Obviously, Jalen. Excuse me. Jason goes for twenty six. Jalen goes for twenty seven. Uh, I think Marcus Smart went and got them. I think twenty two or twenty four. At yeah, twenty four. So I mean, all you know, the big three of the Celtics go out there and they 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 capitalize. I mean, kudos to them. I'm not saying that they didn't deserve to win this game. I'm just saying the way that the third started, the way that the third ended, and the way that the fourth quarter had enough hype behind Golden State. It really, really, really looked like Golden State was going to be able to turn it around, take the lead, and really dominate in that second half. And it just goes to show, man, just because you're good in one quarter doesn't mean that you're going to be good for the rest of the game. And this sport is a, is a game of runs. So, you know, kudos to Boston for taking a 2-1 series lead. And Golden State's got to figure this out, or this is about to get out of hand really
0: fast. Well, this is something that we discussed with Mike just a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Golden State. We were all of the mindset that Golden State was a finals contending team but that there were still some pretty big issues facing this team. And really like the biggest one that Mike was pointing out was the fact that Golden State is a relatively high turnover or a turnover-prone team. And this series so far has proved that. And when you're going up against one of, if not the best defense in the NBA with the Boston Celtics, the Celtics are going to punish the Golden State Warriors in that regard. And so far... They've done that fairly effectively throughout this series. And game three was really just a microcosm of that when you look back at the totality of the series so far. I mean, Kevin, it's like you said, you know, when Golden State scores 11 points in a quarter, I mean, it's one of the worst productive quarters that I've seen from any team throughout the entire NBA playoffs this year. I mean, we could look back to some of the performances. That the, that the Suns had specifically in game seven, where they scored 27 points and a half against Dallas. The Suns were down by 30 against Dallas at halftime in game seven on their home court. I'd probably put that as like the worst offensive performance that I've seen from any team in this postseason. But what Golden State did in the fourth quarter of game three against the Celtics was right up there. I'd say probably top two, if not top three worst performances from a team in a quarter this entire postseason. It's one of the things that I've focused on pretty intently throughout this series so far. And you can maybe say with the playoffs to a larger extent. Boss's defense just knows how to clamp down in the fourth quarter. And they've done this not once, but they've done this twice already. You know, they did it against Golden State in game three in the fourth quarter. But this happened in game one. Golden State got off to a very good start in the second half. They get off to a great start in the third quarter like they typically do. And then Boston just played amazing defense in the fourth quarter. And to go along with that, Boston could not miss a shot in game one, in, on the road in San Francisco in game one. And I think if we look back at that fourth quarter specifically for Boston, I think they scored 40 points and Golden State scored 17, like 15 or 17. Golden State got doubled up in that quarter and ended up losing that game by double digits. Now, this was kind of a similar situation where, you know, Golden State has a great third quarter, and then they just completely fall apart in the fourth. It's really where you want to shift the blame to. Do you blame it for Golden State's ineptitude with turning the ball over, not knocking down shots? Or do you give Boston their credit by playing outstanding defense, by forcing turnovers, and getting enough points in the offensive side of the court be able to extend the lead. You know, to me, I have to look at Boston. I have to kind of give them their respect in this regard because Boston has shown this the entire season. And they've proven it even more so in the biggest stage of the NBA in the NBA Finals. And if they're going to continue to play that clamp-down style defense in the fourth quarter against Golden State, Golden State's going to have some real trouble going into Game 4. So if I'm Golden State... Obviously, they have to limit their turnovers. They have to stop making bad passes. And then they have to slow down Boston in the fourth quarter. Nobody's going to deny that Golden State could absolutely run it in the third. They've proven that time and time again. But fourth quarter, you got to show up. And it's not just Steph. It's Clay. It's it's Draymond. Andrew Wiggins. Jordan Poole. All these guys are going to have to step up in the fourth quarter when it matters the most. And so far in this series... They have not done that. And that's why they find themselves in a 2-1 hole. So we'll see what happens going into game four. But Golden State's got some issues to work out here. And these fourth quarter issues or these fourth quarter woes, however you want to describe it, could potentially bring down this team in the finals. That's just how I see it.
1: And, you know, let's let's, let's not forget one person in particular has played absolutely abysmal the, entireness, the entirety of this series, and that's Draymond Green. It, yeah. Draymond Green, 15 fouls. 15 points in the three games that they've played. Get your shit together, shut your mouth, and play the damn game. It, Mike it, said it when he came on this show. There are a lot of instances where Draymond brings the ball up when he just should get down low, set the pick, and let the offense flow through Steph and Clay. My biggest problem is when Draymond penetrates in the paint... Rather than go at the basket or try to create within the paint, he kicks out to his shooters to then set another dribble handoff. If you're already two feet in the paint and you're already up against either Robert Williams or Grant Williams or whoever it is that's down there, you are six foot eight. Whether you are an efficient shooter from the free throw line or not, you need to be able to get those bigs in foul trouble to get them off the floor. You need to do better at just being Draymond Green. We know that you can pass the ball. We know that you can rebound and defend. But you going out there and literally giving your, your team a shit stat line, two points, two turnovers, four rebounds, and three assists, what the hell does that do in the NBA Finals with a negative 13 plus minus? Stop talking, bro. We get it. It's who you are. We understand it's the, the, the game that you have, the physicality that you bring to the floor, the emotional anchor that you are for this team the enforcer, you enforcing nothing and fouling out isn't doing a yeah. damn thing for this team.
0: I'm going to get a little disrespectful here. Now, granted, I've had my bouts with some of the shit that Draymond Green has done throughout his career. I mean, he's had an illustrious career, a multiple-time NBA Finals champion. I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole resume. I think that resume kind of speaks for itself. But, but, when I look at Draymond currently, I have to kind of put him in this category of this might be one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a quote-unquote star. I mean, I've seen some bad performances in the past from some some big-name players. Like, if you look at somebody like, remember Roy Hibbert when he was playing with the Pacers? Oh, my God. That man disappeared in the playoffs. Like, I mean, it wasn't like just like he tailed off. No, it was like a drop-off. Like, it was just like, it was a nosedive. When I look at Draymond Green, granted, there's still some aspects to his game that I appreciate, especially on the defensive side of the ball. He's still pretty solid on that side of the court. But on the offensive side of the the court, a liability is an understatement. Boston is giving him 15 feet of space to work with. They're saying, dude, shoot it. We don't care if you shoot it. It's basically four on five on the offensive side, you know, or the defensive side for Boston. So if Draymond's going to shoot it, Boston's going to live with that result. And that's the part where I'm looking at Draymond. How can you be somebody where you have the audacity to, you know, talk, talk, and be just chipper the entire game when you're putting up two points? I I can't accept that. I understand, like, if you're going out there, you score scoring 10, 15, 20 points, you're making a, a valiant effort for your team. That's another thing, bro. You can't tell me that you get the right to talk when you're going out there and turning the ball over. You're scoring measly single-digit points in multiple games, and the only thing that you have to show for it is maybe a defensive effort. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like these are like Ben Simmons type stats. Like, and Ben Simmons got roasted by Philly and by the NBA fans at large for his ineptitude to score. Nobody was giving him shit about his defensive performance because everybody kind of respected that. They could at least look at that and say, well, he's at least doing something on, the, on one half of the court. But to me, Draymond is having like a Ben Simmons type of performance on the offensive side of the court. And I think a lot of people are missing that entirely. And the fact that Draymond has the audacity to go out and talk shit the entire time thinking that he's hot shit? Nah, bro. Nah. You going out there scoring two points? No. I don't care if that's who you are, if that's your MO, that's your character. Bro, you can't talk shit to me when you going out there and scoring two points. And Steph's going out there scoring 30 points a game and really doesn't say that much. Play's going out there dropping 20-25. Jordan Poole will drop 15 and 20. They ain't talking like you are. I don't understand why he's talking that much. And dropping two points or dropping single-digit point performances. Nah, bro. That does not sit right with me. I don't care how it comes off. I don't care how he he thinks that it is, because that's just who he is. He is doing more damage for that team than benefits for that team. Because I don't care if he's the enforcer. I don't care if he has this persona where he's just going to say what he feels. Doesn't necessarily work out the best. When your team's down, you're possibly putting your team in a worse position by getting technical fouls. And then on top of that, you're giving them nothing on the offensive side of the court. Nothing. Boston's saying, dude, shoot it. We don't care. We know you're not going to hit it. When Boston's giving him 15 feet of space, it's four on five out there. And if you're Boston, I'm like, fine. We only have to guard Steph and Clay, because we know if Draymond gets the ball, he ain't he's not hitting shit. So, yeah, it, to me, Draymond's been the worst player from this series. It, he's been the worst. And going out there and talking shit is not going to make things better for Golden State. I don't care. And don't he's know. always he's always starting something. He's always at the center of something. Always. It's, just, it's it's just you know. If that's you know what he wants to do, fine, so be it. There's gonna be some consequences with that though. There's gonna be some costs associated with that, and that's where the kind of like the polar the polarization aspect of him comes into play. Because if he's gonna talk shit, fine, you better fucking produce. You're not producing, then what the fuck you talking for? You got nothing to show for. At that point, Boston could just literally laugh in your face. I'm like, dude, scoreboard, like you ain't doing anything. That's just how I see with Draymond. No, and 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 I don't. Again, I don't deny
1: it. I don't disagree whatsoever. Especially in this game, Um, embarrassing performance. That's literally the only thing I can say. But I will also look and show that you know, Clay Thompson didn't have the greatest fourth quarter either. Clay Thompson, when the fourth started, he was seven of eleven from the field. He ended seven of seventeen. He missed six straight shots. Mm -hmm. Not good. He did take a lot of threes because at one point. He was five of eight from the three point line. He ended five of thirteen. And Steph
0: did not, not have a good quarter either. Good.
1: Nope. people got to step up, dude. It, it the man need help, and that's going to be a segue into you know what needs to happen for Game Four. Um, this man needs help. He's averaging thirty one points a game this Finals. This is Clay's first big game in the Finals since he was injured in two thousand and nineteen. Jordan Poole, outside of the 17 he scored in Game 2, has been a non-factor. What are we doing here? Golden State is shitting the bed at the absolute worst time. And I feel like we're not giving Boston enough credit. Aside from that Game 2 performance of, you know, Al Horford and Marcus Smart only scoring two, Jason has turned it on the last two games. Jalen's been putting it together. Marcus Smart has been doing what he needs to do. It, 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 we're, we're just getting to a point now where it's like, is it really Golden State not performing or is this Boston, this is Boston. really locking up and, and finding ways to disrupt the dynasty that is the Warriors? So Kyle, I'm going to ask you, what has got to happen in game four for the Warriors to turn it around? Or do the Celtics step on the throats of the Warriors and say, this ain't happening, Chief?
0: Well, I think Golden State's in a very precarious situation here the one thing that really stuck out to me from game three was when golden state made it close at the end of the third quarter. I thought that golden state would have made it a hell of an effort to, you know, really try to get that win in Boston on the road. And then they shit the bed in the fourth quarter. And I got to give Boston a lot of credit for being able to play great defense, forcing golden state to turn the ball over and Boston. did enough in the fourth quarter to, extend their lead, and then win by 16 points. I think they won by 116 to 100. And when I look back at Golden State, Golden State had multiple opportunities to take advantage of that game late, and they just didn't. And, you know, Steph had a great run-up to the fourth quarter, dropped 29 points. Clay was doing his thing. Uh, Jordan Poole was doing decent things here and there. Andrew Wiggins chipped in. in the fourth quarter, they just couldn't get anything to go. And that's really kind of been the biggest thing from this series so far is that when Boston has won these games in the finals, they've been able to effectively, not just slow down Golden State, I mean lock them down in the fourth quarter. Because Golden State will always go on these big runs in the third quarter. We said it just a couple minutes ago. They're probably the best third quarter team that we've ever seen in NBA history. Apparently they just like to run it up in that quarter specifically. But Boston will let Golden State have their third quarter, and then Boston will just respond by having an amazing fourth quarter by not only scoring, but locking Golden State down. And they've proven that in two out of the three games so far. And when I look into this game four, I can see Boston definitely replicating that type of success. It's just when I see this game four being played out, I think Steph's going to go for broke. I think Steph's going to go out there and try to drop 35, 40 points. I think clay has got to know that he's got to step up and he's got to drop at least 20 to 25 like he did in similar fashion to game three. Jordan Poole, he's got to show up. He's got to be essentially what he was like in game two where he was effective, dropping almost 20 points in that win for the Warriors. And they have to get similar type of production from Andrew Wiggins. Now, Andrew Wiggins has been spotty throughout this playoff run Golden State, but if he drops somewhere around 15 to 20 points, I think that Golden State has a shot to win this one. And I gotta focus on Draymond. Draymond cannot go out there and drop two points. Draymond's got to be more effective. He's got to be more assertive by just attacking the basket. In worst case scenario, he gets blocked, he misses the shot. Best case scenario, he hits the shot, or he goes to the free throw. He goes to the free throw line and gets the opportunity to knock down two shots. Draymond has been probably the biggest disappointment for Golden State so far. And he's the one who's talking the most, which that's another discussion for another day. So if, if you're Golden State, you gotta go for Broke on this one. Because if you go to if you go down 3 1 in this series, granted game five does go back to San Francisco. Be, being down in a 3 1 hole, that is a tough situation to come back from. Granted They've been in a similar type of situation when they were up 3-1 and they let it slip against the Cavs uh in their 73 to nine or 73 in nine season. That's just a situation you just don't want to be in. And I think really this is where all the pressure is on Golden State to perform here. I think if Boston plays very similar to what they did in game three, they have every reason to go out and win game four at home and put themselves in a one game situation to win the NBA finals at that. in time. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, they've been playing, I would say, great basketball up until this point. Game two was a little bit different. Game two, Marcus just had an off game, only scoring two points. But Boston's in a great situation here. They're playing solid offense. Their defense has been phenomenal in stretches, especially in the fourth quarter. And if Boston plays that right, they could be up 3-1. But if I had to pick just for Game four specifically, I'm picking Golden State, but I think they're going to win this one by like literally like two or three points. I think they're going to escape Boston somehow with a game four win. I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to do it. I just think that Steph is going to go God mode in this one. I think he's going to put his team on his back and carry Golden State to the promised land and find a way to somehow tie this series at two and two apiece, despite the fact that Boston has been significantly the better team in this series so far. But Kevin, I'll get to you from here.
1: I'm in full agreement. I think Steph's going to have a massive game. I think like Kyle had alluded to before we started recording, Steph's got to have a Kobe game. If if Steph's not putting up the shot, I, I don't want anybody else taking it. He's been the only one consistent all series long. He's been the only one that looks like he wants it the most. And it just seems like, you know, Clay tends to show up when he feels like it. Aside from this game, you know, he's kind of been relatively irrelevant in terms of total points. Um, Jordan Poole, kind of on the inexperienced side in the playoffs, he's an absolute liability on defense. He is a he is the definition of a cone. Like Patrick Beverly was talking about Chris Paul on first take and 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 wait, good morning, uh, wake up on the NBA, get up, whatever the hell that segment is. Um, yeah, no, that, that that's Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole is atrocious on defense. There have been plenty of instances where you look and you say, why, why aren't you putting your body in front of him? Why aren't you putting your body on him? So, if Jordan pulls in the game, he can go for 30. He's going to give up 35-40 on the other side. He's just, he can't I I just don't trust him to get it done, and that's why he wasn't in the game in late game situations because Boston wasn't being stopped in the fourth. And if you have somebody like Jordan on the on the other side, we, we know how how good he can be, but dude, I I think Kerr's got to go back to the bench and really figure it out. So, I'm going to give the keys to success in order for Golden State aside from Steph going off for for 30-plus, again, or 40, 10 turnovers or less, period. I will accept nothing more. You, you guys have to stop being laxadaisical and careless with the basketball. You keep the basketball. You make them turn the ball over more. You have more effective, uh, efficient possessions. You win the basketball game. Draymond Green can't get more than three fouls. No techs. Got to give you at least 10-8-8. You got to get your rebounds. You got to get the assists. You got to be aggressive on the defensive side without being too physical to put yourself in a situation to to hurt your team. So, yeah, Draymond's got to go out there and just all around play better. Like, there's absolutely no excuse. You cannot be giving me 15 total fouls and only 15 points in a finals run. This isn't the first round. This isn't the regular season. This isn't the all-star game. Bro, you're in the most important series of the season, and you are putting up garbage. Like Kyle said... Draymond is a lot to blame for the sake of this. But I also put some of this on Steve Kerr. A lot of times in the fourth quarter, Robert Williams is in the game. Grant Williams is in the game. Al Horford's in the game. You can see where I'm going with this. They're putting their bigs in. They're getting rebounds. Golden State is getting out-rebounded in the fourth quarter. There's zero reason why you should run the death lineup when you are down... 16 points. When you're down 10 plus points, as good as it is, Draymond's not shooting the basketball. Is Looney? No, but at least you know Looney's going to go out there and get you those rebounds and fight for those offensive possessions. Robert Williams is taller than Draymond. Al Horford is taller than Draymond. They're not on the floor to score, they're on the floor to rebound. You're telling me that you're just going to sit there and continue to do something that's not working? It's literally not effective in the fourth quarter. Over two of the last three games, again I understand the efficiency of it to have Poole, Clay, and Steph on the floor, but one is a defensive liability, and the other one is has not been rebounding the basketball well as of late. You gotta be able to rebound. You gotta limit the turnovers, and you guys gotta get some help offensively from other players that are not named Steph Curry. So, game four is gonna be big. I'm gonna side with Kyle again. I'm gonna say the Golden State is gonna win this game because I just do not see them falling two in a row, and I just think they're going to make those adjustments. And again, I'm calling it, man, Steph's going for 40, 45 points, man. He has to. If not, I don't see how Golden State's going to be able to do this.
0: I mean, Kevin, I mean, if Boston wins game four, you can wrap this up as far as I'm concerned. yeah, I think you wrap the series up. I just think that I just don't see Golden State going out there being down 3-1 and winning three straight games, not with the way that they played in this series so far. But that's really a testament to Imei Yudoka, and just the Celtics as a whole. Their defense has been probably the biggest aspect that I have to take away from. When their defense is essentially locking down Golden State to 11 points in a quarter, specifically in the fourth quarter, that's tough to combat, even if you have the greatest shooter of all time in Steph Curry. It's just tough to bounce. I just, I got to give a lot of credit to, to the Celtics, man. They've they, they figured out a good formula to slow down and even freaking lock down Golden State. In certain elements of the game. And I think if they do that in game four. You can pretty much wrap up the series. Golden State may win game five. Just to kind of save face. But when this series goes about to Boston for game six. Wrap it up. But. I mean. We'll see what happens. Should be an interesting game. On Friday night in the garden. So. We'll definitely be paying attention to it. And. Um, see where it goes from here. But. Um. With that said, we're going to transition to our last two topics, uh, both of which are going to be NFL-related topics. We got to dive into the ongoing situation that is currently involved around Deshaun Watson. So we've talked about Deshaun Watson a multitude of times in the past when it comes to the civil suits that he's faced with the the sexual misconduct cases where over twenty women have accused him of sexual misconduct in really a masseuse uh, parlor type of setting where essentially he would privately message these women and they would provide a private massage for Deshaun. And over 20 women came out and said that Deshaun did some things that were um, wrong in a sexual manner. And Deshaun's been going through a civil suit for the last couple months with Multitudes of women coming out and saying that same thing happened to them. Now we have two more women in the last, I would say the last week or so that have stepped forward, upping the total to 24 total accusers against Deshaun Watson at this current moment in time. And then really this kind of puts the focus on Deshaun Watson and his tenure with the Cleveland Browns. And a lot of rumors have been circulating about the Browns could potentially find a void Uh, They could void his contract via some loopholes that are built in his contract. The NFL could be looking at suspending Deshaun Watson up to a year just based on a personal uh, conduct violation. So there's a lot of different angles to go at this. But it's safe to say that Deshaun Watson is facing some tough waters ahead um, when it comes to his NFL tenure, specifically with the Cleveland Browns. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, With the Deshaun Watson story involving two new accusers in the last week or so, how do you think this is going to affect Watson's tenure, not only with the Cleveland Browns? How do you think this is going to affect his stature in the NFL? I mean, I'm no lawyer. I'm no NFL GM or legal
1: expert, but I know that more people coming out after he beat 22 don't look good. I know for a fact that the rumors of circulation of even the possibility of avoided fully guaranteed contract like Deshaun Watson's is not a good look. And I know that Deshaun Watson is sitting there like, damn, I thought this was over. I just, more and more news and statistics continue to come out. Apparently Deshaun Watson had 66 massages in a 17-month span during this time. I'm not sitting here and say that you don't deserve a massage. You're a a football player. You do a lot of physically grueling and and very physical um, activities as a pro athlete. You have physical trainers. You have massage therapists that are to the team. You have athletic trainers. I mean, if you really wanted a massage, you could have easily gotten it with the resources that are available to you as an NFL superstar like Deshaun is. But for you to have 66 massages, again, I'm... It just looks weird, is all I'm going to say. He's not guilty. Again, I'm not working in the justice system, and I'm not a lawyer, but it just two more of these cases coming out of the blue, and now the rumors of DeVoid possibly happening. Not that they're going to do it, but if anybody thought Deshaun could have played come week one, it's definitely out the window now. Um, It just... It's it's a difficult topic to talk about, man. It's really, really hard. I mean, again, I'm not necessarily an expert in any case to try to be articulating what it is that I think could happen. But for the fact that two more cases have surfaced just as this was kind of coming to a close, OTAs were starting and, you know, the season's three months away. Dude, I just... Kyle, it's really hard to articulate, man. It's hard for me to fathom words just because, again, I'm pretty sure like you did, I thought this was over. I thought that he was able to get his life back, maybe serve some form of a suspension from the commissioner's office just because of you know everything that had transpired over the course of last year. But when you look at it from this perspective, now you're like, well, this could have just went from really bad to just absolutely horrid for him and his career because if, and I will just say if, if this contract is voided, I truly believe Deshaun Watson will be on that list of players that never play again.
0: It really kind of depends on how you look at this because you know the way that I see it is these are all civil lawsuits. Cuz when you look back at the entire timeline of how the this whole lawsuit kind of came to be, you know, even though that 22 women came forward initially and made their cases about sexual misconduct, from Deshaun Watson. You had two grand juries in Texas. Both say that they were not going to pursue criminal charges against Deshaun Watson. That was despite the fact that they, they had really in a lot of evidence and a lot of testimony to work with based on the accounts of the women that you know allegedly were sexually abused or sexually assaulted by Deshaun. So now when you have these two you have two women coming forward within the last week or so saying essentially the same thing as the previous 22 did. It just brings this story back into focus. And the way that I see it is if you're looking at this from an NFL perspective, I think that a suspension is imminent. Now, I don't know how long it's going to be because I think initially some people were saying that this could be like a four week suspension, maybe a six to eight week suspension, I I might be getting to the mindset that we might be looking at a year long suspension for Sean and granted nothing of this has been, you know, proven in court. Like he is directly guilty as far as like, you know, he was facing some sort of criminal charges and he was convicted on that. That's not the case. This is all civil related, but the fact that there are still women coming out and saying that he did this or that he supposedly did the things that he did. it's very, uh, disconcerting for not only Deshaun, for the Browns. Because the Browns have so much money tied into him for the next five years. And to give him the contract that they did, and the Browns are going all in with, on him. The Browns saw an opportunity when they traded for him and are taking full advantage of it. And you know, to the kind of focus on the point where you made about the void of contract element, I don't think the Browns are going to do that. I think the Browns knew good and well that there's a very good chance that Deshaun was gonna be suspended in some sort of capacity related to these civil cases that he's been going through for pretty much the last year or so. So I think they kind of I think they kind of baked that into the cake already. So if it was, you know, four to eight games, they could live with that. If it was a year, they might just roll with the punches on that one. I I would find it utterly shocking if the Browns went out of their way to try to prove that these two new cases that have popped up with uh, new accusers against Deshaun Watson as a reason to void the contract entirely. And then it kind of goes down to the question, actually kind of brings up multiple questions. Well, first of all, would they bring it up in the first place? And second of all, would they actually be able to win that type of argument? And I'm not really convinced that they could. You could make an argument for it, but I, I don't think it's a winning one. So I'm of the mindset that Deshaun Watson is going to be the future quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. It may not be this upcoming season because I think he is going to be suspended. I think it's just really the degree of the suspension. I think that the NFL could possibly be looking at a year-long suspension for Deshaun. But I guess we'll just see what happens when it comes to the women that brought these new allegations against Deshaun. I mean, it's up to 24 Women in total now. So, we'll see what happens. But I think if we look at Deshaun, I'm not going to go as far to say like his like days in, in Cleveland are numbered to the point where that the, the Browns are going to offload him just based off of what's been going on the last week or so. I'm more of the mindset that the Browns are just going to roll with the punches for Deshaun until this whole thing gets cleared up. And then he's going to be their future quarterback after that. But I think they're going to have to take a year-long suspension with I think that's where this is going. I just I would find it very hard to believe that the NFL doesn't suspend him in some sort of capacity because I think just I think just the image that this story presents you could totally go with a personal conduct violation just based off of this, and it really just kind of depends on what sort of degree you want to set it at. You got twenty four women granted. He's not guilty, so I I, mean, I I can't, you know, I still have to kind of say that, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty, but it's not a good look, and I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. Yeah, there's not really much else. There's just
1: not enough information out there right now. The speculation is, you know, with the void being potential is kind of what broke the internet and kind of had everybody looking at it like, wow, fully guaranteed contract could potentially just be a thing of the past and not even have to pay a single cent So moving on to the next, you know, I really don't want to sit here and just, you know, harp on it it, anymore just because of it.
0: it, It's just like, it really kind of depends on how you look at it. Because if you're you're looking at it from the accuser standpoint, you'd be like, this guy needs to not only be out of the league, like this guy needs to get arrested. This guy needs to go to prison. This guy needs to face jail time for like what he did, you know? And I understand where that sentiment comes from, but it's like, you know, You have to go through due process. You know, Deshaun still deserves that element of due process. And, you know, granted, these are all civil cases, and they've gone through the court system in Texas twice in two separate counties, and both grand juries have come back and not suppress criminal charges against him. So in that element, like, I don't think he's going to face any jail time or prison time for this because that element of this story is gone. I think really what comes into question here is what's going to happen with his football career. I think that's a legitimate question. Yeah. But but as far as like the criminal charges element, that's over and done with. This is all civil at this point. So we'll kind of see how it happens. So um, we'll focus on our next segment, which is going to be the Rams. Uh, the Rams, I mean, to say... That they reloaded this offseason is just an understatement. I mean, they have you know, essentially a god squad if there were ever one in the NFL. Uh, and really, the last two moves that the Rams have made recently it just indicate the type of offseason that they've had over uh, the last couple of months. They re-signed Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup to just massive contracts. Aaron Donald's getting over $60 million over the next two years. You have Cooper Cup re-signing on a five year deal that's over a hundred million dollars. So he's getting paid top dollar for the wide receiver position. And the question it just really focuses on whether or not that the Rams are reloaded to go back to the Super Bowl. And that's what I'm gonna pose it to Kev. Kev, do you think that the Rams are a surefire bet of going back to the Super Bowl with them re signing Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup? Without the, the a sliver of a doubt. We're talking, you've
1: reloaded on offense. You have found a way to bring back the best player in the league in Aaron Donald. And I'm going to go out and say that because of the impact that he brings to the football field and how impactful he is on the defensive side. It, 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 it It's without a question, man. You go and you give Cooper Cup the payday that he rightfully deserves after the season that he had. You go and you 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 bring in Allen Robinson. You find a way to make sure that uh, Matt Stafford was tied into to, to L.A. for the long foreseeable future. And the OBJ signing is still kind of out there into the world. We don't know necessarily if that's going to happen. But Sean McVeigh was recently on a podcast, and he did say that Odell Beckham was not invited to the wedding but still found a way to crash his party. And he was very thankful that he did because of the type of person that Odell is. And it, that's... Not an indication of how much they want him to come back. If that's not an indication of how well he loves his coach and how much he cares for this organization, I don't know what is. So, you know, for all that it's worth, could Odell come back? Yes. Is it possible? Yes. Do we know? Absolutely not. But in terms of are the Rams ready to go at this and repeat with everything they have done this offseason, there's no doubt in my mind that they're looking at this and saying, yeah, we want, we want, we want, we want to go back to back. We want to be the first NFL team to go back to back since the Patriots, right? Yes, sir. So, dude, it's scary. Um, if anybody needs to be reviewed for criminal charges, it's got to be the Rams front office because I have no fucking idea where they're getting this much money. It's just absolutely unheard of that you go and you give Cooper the money that he got. You go and give Aaron the money that he got. You give Allen the money that he got. <laughs> You're like. Bro, where do you... You give freaking... What's his name? Oh, my goodness. Of course, Bobby Wagner, the money that he got. And you're like, bro, just how? Like, on what planet? Like, do you guys own a Brinks truck? Do you have a money copy machine where you're just constantly printing shit in the office? Like, what is there no cap hit in the NFL? Is there no luxury tax? Is there is there no goddamn IRS in LA? This is ridiculous. <laughs> The Rams are trying to build a Madden squad, and they have succeeded. And if they do not win the Super Bowl this year, it is an absolute failure.
0: I mean, Kevin, it's really hard for me to, like, rebuff anything that you said. But I'm going to try to. It doesn't guarantee that they're just going to the Super I mean, nothing's really a guarantee in the NFL. I think when I look at the Rams, though, they got to be the betting favorite. To be able to retool and basically up the roster from what they had last year, albeit a Super Bowl winning roster. This is going to be a tough out for not only just the teams that got to deal with them in the NFC West, but the NFC and an NFL to a larger extent. This is going to be a tough out with what the Rams have assembled. See, I'm in the mindset that the Rams are going all in for the next three to four years. Because... The way that I've always traditionally seen it is that if a team is assembled really well, they typically have about a three or four year window to maximize all their capabilities because it's going to get to a point where, you know, guys get older, you have expiring contracts, guys are going to go to other teams down the road to find better paydays. It's just that it seems to me like all those guys like right now are just focused on what the Rams have. And they're just going all in with it for the next three to four years. They have a great quarterback to work with in Matt Stafford. The wide receiver core that the Rams have at their disposal. Outright insane. And then the defense. Bro, you have you have three Hall of Famers at each level of the defense. You've got Aaron Donald, who's probably one of, if not the greatest generational players that we've seen in recent memory. You have Bobby Wagner consistently been one of the best linebackers in the league for the last seven, eight years. And then you have Jalen Ramsey on the back end who's one of the most productive cornerbacks that we've seen in the last four This is a tough team to beat. Now granted, I don't know how this roster's going to look when it comes to like the second-string guy that have to play every now and then when it comes to in the offensive side defensive side of the ball, but overall the fact that they were able to re-sign Aaron Donald, re-sign up to massive extensions to secure this roster the Rams are in a really good spot I think if they play their cards right and nobody deals with any sort of significant always the thing you have to account for that can derail a team but I think by and large, the Rams are in the driver's seat to go back to another and really, I think their biggest enemy is probably themselves at this point. I, I think it's going to be very tough for a team to knock out of Super Bowl. I just really find it hard. There there are some teams that can compete with the Rams, maybe like the Bucks. maybe Packers. I can't even really say Packers. Packers might be struggling. But I think there's going to be some... There's going to be... Some, not going to be a lot of... Uh, against the Rams. The Rams are just that good. Like I said, I think they're going to be in the driver's seat. That's just how I see it. I'm I'm excited.
1: I mean, again, I just I'm genuinely curious how in the hell it's possible for them to spend this much money in one offseason. Um the fact that Aaron Donald was willing to walk away from the game if the contract wasn't to what he felt was necessary kind of insane to me especially somebody in the prime of his career but that also shows that dude's just at peace and you know you know despite the fact that they went out and they lost Von Miller to Buffalo I feel like that was better for them just because they wouldn't have had the money to pay Aaron because clearly you see what what Von was getting in Buffalo is just not the amount that they would have been able to afford if they wanted to bring back some key players and extend them past the point of what was remaining on their contracts it ended up working out for the best at least financially but then again the way that the way that the rams are they may have found some money in a, in a in a suitcase somewhere buried under st louis whatever money they have left out there i don't know i'm just i'm making shit up here but it it makes me laugh that they have that much money to spend on personnel so we'll see what happens we are 3 months away officially from the nfl season kicking off thank goodness uh we're getting closer and closer to our favorite sport returning but outside of that man um that's gonna wrap it up,
0: Kyle. You have anything else? No, oh, just appreciate you guys. Audio platform, higher Apple podcast or watching us on YouTube. Definitely appreciate the support. But just to kind of give you guys, um, so drop another episode at the beginning of next week. Definitely be focused on going NBA Finals matchup between Warriors and the Celtics um might be talking about the Stanley Cup finals that happens this weekend with Lightning and Rangers that series could potentially end and with the Lightning possibly going to Stanley Cup or focusing on a potential game 7 in the conference finals with the Rangers going that's something to kind of keep on the horizon in the next couple of days or so any sort of that kind of pops up uh, definitely kind of integrate that episode but you know once again just thank you guys for tuning in. and Kevin I'll let you take
1: I mean guys it's Friday hope you guys have an incredible weekend thank you for all the support I know that we are focused on getting our content out as much as we can uh, I will put caution into the wind Kyle and I were actually talking about the upcoming summer uh, with multitudes of vacations and different plants coming out in both of our respective personal lives and with content being at a kind of lull state during the dry. summer with baseball. Yeah. Baseball being the only content of focus really and you know some NFL news during training camps and whatnot. Uh of course we're going to coordinate and let you guys know the closer we get to the dates. But Kyle's probably going to have some time off in the near future. I got time coming off uh, you know, at the end of June and the beginning of July and then for my birthday in the middle. So um we will be keeping you updated, but overall, you know, just letting you know at some point in about a month or so we're probably going to take a couple of different days off here and again. But when we get back to it never going to skip a beat content's always first and foremost but again as always thank you guys so much for everything wouldn't be here without you and we'll see you on sunday night hey there fabulous souls i'm stephanie Baklaan,
0: and i'm eden Uppert. and
1: we're the hosts of the brand new podcast unapologetically fab get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it we're all about changing the narrative leaning into who you are